Welcome back to our podcast, Regulation Matters, a clear conversation. I'm your host, Lyon Dempsey. I'm currently the Chief Compliance Officer with Rick and Benny Associates Family Dentistry here in North Carolina, and I'm also the Chair of CLEAR's National Certified Investigator Training Committee. As many of you are aware, the Council on Licensure, Enforcement, and Regulation, or CLEAR, is an association of individuals, agencies, and organizations that comprise the international community of professional and occupational regulation. This podcast is a chance for you to hear about important topics in our regulatory community. Our guests for today's episode are two fellow NCIT instructors. I've known them for quite some time. Um, actually, uh, it's been well, it's been a long time. Um, I remember taking my first classes uh, with both Amigo and Mike, and and they had actually suggested that. I actually maybe look into becoming an instructor with them, which I'm not quite sure what their insight on that was, but um, <laughs> I've known them for a long time. And, and I will say that my involvement in CLEAR um, from being involved with NCIT committee to having served on the board of directors, uh, I owe it all both to these two gentlemen, um, not to set the bar pretty high, but um, the reality is, is that you know if it hadn't been for them and their input um, early on in my career as an investigator, um, I, I wouldn't have been involved with CLEAR like I have. So um, with that, um, welcome, guys. Well, thank you. Thank you. Very glad to be here. And we're glad to have our listeners with us today. Um, and again, you know, thank you for joining us. For those that may not be familiar with CLEAR's NCIT program, uh, the National Certified Investigator and Inspector Training, or NCIT, um, we have basic and specialized programs, and that training and certification programs are designed for investigators and inspectors working within regulatory organizations. Since the program's inception in 1984, more than 21,000 investigators and inspectors have participated in this training. Uh, we've now moved this training to an online format with both pre-recorded modules and live instructor-led online sessions, um, but um, it's quite uh, amazing where we are. So maybe um, I can have a kind of most people know both of you uh, that have been involved with CLEAR, but but starting with Mike, maybe kind of give us a little bit about your background and, and kind of an introduction to yourself, if you would, and then we'll go with Amigo. Sure. Uh, my background is primarily law enforcement, actually, 40 years in law enforcement, 20 years in patrol, and 20 years in investigations. Uh, retired uh, a few years back and uh, began a training and consulting company. Uh, that I have now, and uh, I've been with CLEAR, the NCIT program, for 29 years, uh, but it actually seems just like yesterday. It's, it's a very vibrant, thriving program, and uh, it allows me a real benefit of meeting people all over the country who are engaged in the, the activity of investigation, so it's really uh, quite a pleasant thing to do. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and, and Lon, I'm glad to see that um, you went with age before beauty, or in my case, handsomeosity, which is the word, <laughs> look it up. But um, I, I, um, my career, I was right after law school for about 10 years. I was with the Department of Professional and Occupational Regulation here in, here in Virginia, which is a centralized agency that had about 21 different boards and so lots of different professions and occupations. And I was an investigator there and moved through the ranks to become an assistant director. Um, at some point, and then I knew it was time to leave before they found out that I didn't know what I was doing, So, uh, which is the state government path, in case you didn't know. For the last, um, I guess, uh, 24 years, I've been working with, a, uh, with the Division of Legislative Services, which is in the legislative branch, 
um, and they provide legal services to the um, Virginia General Assembly. And keeping with that path, as I was telling you, I'm that acting director of that agency. So probably it's going to be time for me to move on before they find out that I still don't know what I'm doing. Um, so I've been involved with CLIA <laughs> since 1991. Um, first um, time I taught, I think, was in Lincoln, Nebraska. So um, um, it's been a long time. had a lot of fun over all of that time. Well, that's fantastic. I think I've met both of you guys in 1996. I think that was around the time uh, when I first got involved with CLEAR. So, um, you know, one of the things that we want to talk a little bit about today, uh, since we do have a background investigation, I was uh, the senior investigator with the North Carolina Dental Board for 16 years, um, been involved in this for a while, and, and of course, you guys as well. Um, kind of wanted to talk about not necessarily uh, tips and trades, but maybe some insights from our experiences on um, how you could be a better investigator, if you would. Um, so Mike, let's kind of start with you. Um, could you maybe share an experience from earlier in your career that, that basically you learned from that you could share with the, with the group? Yeah, I, uh, I was, I'm having trouble just selecting one. I've made just about every mistake that you can possibly make, uh, much like Amigo. Uh, Still trying to figure out what what what, what you're supposed to do, uh, but I, I've come to learn that uh, preparation is the key to success in terms of investigations. Uh, more often than not, we have time available to us to prepare for the investigation, but sometimes we don't utilize it. Uh, we rely on what we've been told before, and so there's uh, also a benefit to continuing your training and continuing your education which is offered through programs like CLEAR and others. Uh, but for one example that stands out to me now, I need to give you a little background on this. Uh, I was born and raised on the south side of Chicago. That's where I entered the law enforcement profession was on the south side of Chicago. And uh, then I eventually moved for reasons that still escaped me uh, to Iowa and uh, ended up in law enforcement in Iowa. And my remark here has to do with my very first call for service as a patrol officer in Iowa. Uh, that call for service was uh, for livestock on the road. Now, as I just said, I am from the south side of Chicago. I know that steaks come in wrappers, and I know that, uh, you know, cows jump over the moon and all that kind of stuff, but I really didn't know what to do when I got there. I'd been through the academy, I'd been through the Illinois Academy, and through the Iowa Academy. So in terms of preparation, I thought I had it. But the very first call proved uh, the error in my way, in my theory. Uh, there's no way for you to be trained for every eventuality that you're going to encounter uh, as an investigator. Uh, things are going to happen that you absolutely didn't expect. Things are going to happen that you expected but weren't really ready for when they did happen. And that's why preparation becomes number one. In my particular case, in this instance, uh, it was a uh, middle of the night type situation. I got to the location that I'd been dispatched to. And sure enough, there were what, are, there were what I believed to be at the time cows on the road. Now, again, having ever come face to face with a cow before in my life, I wasn't really sure what I was dealing <laughs> with. So, I called for assistance from the uh, dispatch center and I said, I'm here and there's what I believe to be cows on the road. What would you like me to do about it? Uh, and they said, oh, nothing. Just find the first open gate, turn them in there. We'll find out who they belong to in the morning. 
I went, okay, how do you do that? You see, in the academies that I attended, there was nothing about cattle herding or cattle drives. <laughs> and they told me, the response that I got from the dispatcher was, oh, just wave your arms and make some noise and they'll move. And so I began to think, uh, make some noise. Well, how can I make some noise? How can I make some noise? And then I realized I was wearing a noisemaker on my service belt. So I pulled my revolver out. We were using revolvers at the no. time. And, uh, no, please no. Was preparing to discharge my firearm in an attempt to move said cattle. When luckily a deputy sheriff showed up and goes, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. We don't want to stampede. We just want to move them. So he walks down into the ditch with him and he's, hey, cow, hey, cow, hey, cow. He'll do whatever he said. I don't know. But uh, he got them successfully corralled. Uh, but that was a very obvious indication to me that I was not really prepared for the environment that I was working in. And I think that's what's true uh, for all new investigators. Uh, when they come into the field, uh, despite your background, now I've had plenty of time in Chicago. Now, I had never run into a cow on a Chicago street anywhere, never. <laughs> so I wasn't prepared for this different environment. Uh, and that's one of the benefits I think uh, through, through the NCIT program, we try to provide uh, as much training as we can. It's done in a generic way on purpose so that it can be adapted to the environment that we, you as the investigator might find yourself in. Um, and then continuing training, obviously, uh, things change, rules, rules change, laws change, everything changes. And uh, that's the other benefit of the NCIT program is that it allows uh, access to uh, current information uh, in the field. Yeah, I can definitely see how, um, you know, your example in particular of being better prepared and, and sometimes, you know, coming right out of, of some type of training. Um, uh, new hires sometimes feeling like they know everything and going into things, you know, um, without maybe the prep work that could be used to, to, to better efficiently handle the situation. Um, I, on the other hand, had a similar situation, not with livestock in the road, of course, or discharging a firearm um, at said cow, but I, I had a situation where I was, uh, I, I, almost overprepared. And, and by that, I guess, again, some, some backstory. Uh, so working in the field of dentistry, um, one of the things that was a, a requirement that, that lay people, non-dentists or non-clinical people do is take impressions of human teeth. Um, and, you know, you would do that in a dental office for making a bridge or a crown or, or a denture or something to that effect. Um, but we had, this was uh, back in the early 90s, uh, grills were real popular. Uh, the, the fake teeth uh, that sometimes had diamonds and things like that. And so uh, the board had gotten notified that there was some uh, jewelry store that was uh, doing this. And they sent me in as a, a fairly new investigator, completely green, um, to, to go in and go in undercover, if you would, and, and get a set of, of, of grills or, or fake teeth made. <laughs> So, you know, uh, I went in and, and got everything done. Um, and uh, when we took the case to court, um, I had been prepped by our attorneys to, you know, make sure that I referred to it um, 
as an appliance. Um, don't refer to it as jewelry, right? Because again, the, the, the judge is a lay person um, and we're trying to make a point that this is an appliance that um, could potentially affect people's bite. Um, it's not just a piece of fashion jewelry. It, it actually is replacing the biting surface. So it was, you know, just preached into my head, you know, make sure that you don't say jewelry. So I had that covered. Um, and at some point in time, since this was just a, a small, small case, the judge asked me, said, you know, well, where would you wear something like this? And again, I was so focused on not saying jewelry, but the thing that came out of my mouth was, um, I don't know, maybe if I went out clubbing. Uh, now, emphasis on the fact that I didn't even have a G on there. It was clubbing, not clubbing. And, and, and any of you that know me, that have met me at, at conferences, know that I'm not quite the person that goes clubbing, much less clubbing. Um, and it really caused a lot of confusion. But, but the, 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 the take-home message was that I was so focused on one aspect of the, the, the trial uh, to, to make sure that I didn't say the word jewelry, that I was um, not listening to the questions and responding in a way that I should have. Um, so I guess I could have used a little bit more preparation in that end, but <laughs> overprepared in that I was focused on one thing, and and that was the you know that was the you know the thing that was just preached over and over. Whatever you do, don't say jewelry. And so sure enough, I didn't say jewelry, but I did say clubbing, and that's in a transcript somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Line, I'm surprised that um you didn't squeeze in there. Yeah, and I want to go back to the pad or. Or I do have my crib, you know. I mean, just 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 go fully eighties. But, yeah, but um, that's right. I, I think what's interesting is is that you know we uh, you know Mike is talking about the importance of preparation, which was it's it is all important to any professional. You know, that's the one thing that you have control over the amount of time that you put in preparation. We also saw from line, you know, that you can sort of over prepare and you can become like that so focused that um that you end up going in the opposite directions like. This guy's got to be undercover something because, and, it's, and I think from my standpoint, what I want to talk about is a couple of stories about how you can, you know, being properly prepared, um, you know, because when I, um, you know, there's no course that you can take in undergrad or law school or even in, in, in some of the um, um, uh, community colleges on how to conduct a regulatory investigation, you know, and of course, when I became an investigator, I was what some would say was overqualified. I had, you know, four years undergrad, three years of law school. So I knew that I was prepared. Uh, now I was a generalist, which means, you know, I said 21 different boards, but we're talking about at least 50 different types of occupations. And each of those occupations has a lingo, has, has a, has, they're in their own worlds. And if you're going to be an investigator where you're going to try to go and have that, as Mike would say, and Lyon would say, you know, that conversation with the purpose, you have to be able to talk to people in a language that they understand. So my first case, you know, was an auctioneer case. You know what auctioneers are, right? So, so, um, so I, I did. You know, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, okay? You know, I'm smart and didn't took the pass the bar exam after only taking it twice, okay? So I read the, I read the naming statute, I read the regulations, and I went to conduct the interview with the auctioneer. And two questions in, I began to talk about the um, the um, hammer that they use to say when the when the bidding is over. I then called it a mallet. After a while, the auctioneer said, sir, it's called a gavel. And evidently, that is a sacrosanct, you know, you don't call it a, a mallet, you know, or a, or a um, hammer. 
And, and what happened after that was that, you know, I lost credibility. I was not able to have that conversation with the purpose and he had the advantage over me as an investigator. The other story um, has to do with the uh, was, um, investigating a high profile contractor case dealing with shrink swell soil. We could spend all day talking about that. This is good stuff, people, you know. So, um, but anyway, it was this contractor who was not just a licensed contractor. He was an engineer, had been in the business for 25 years. And I was this guy, I had a lot of hair then. So I had like this cool, you know, Widow's Peak, like Eddie Munster, some of you that might call the Munsters. And um, I went in and part of it had to do with discussion of the um, joust that hold the flooring up. And I said, joust. After the fifth time he said, it is called a Joyce. <laughs> I lost complete credibility. It was a terrible interview. What I learned from that is that you got to take the right, you have to take time to do the right preparation, meaning understand the lingo. What could I have, what could I have done and what did I start doing after that was, you know, you, you have board members that are practitioners. What I would, what I should have done was given the auctioneer board member a, a call and say, tell me about how this business works, because you're not going to know, um, um, you know, you're not going to find that out by reading the regulations or reading the, um, the um, statute or even looking at some movies or getting on the, um, one of those price channels where they're so, so, you know, that's where you put that effective, right type of preparation in so that you can be at least on as equal as possible footing. And also, um, you know, coming from the generalist standpoint, when they are using those buzzwords or those keywords that are important to that profession, you're going to be able to register what they're talking about and kind of continue that on conversation and I have to stop and say, let me see what that means. Okay. So, I mean, so that would be my major thing. Just, just making sure, you know, especially if you are a, um, a um, generalist, um, you know, my old agency, we had um, from auctioneers to architects, to contractors, to cosmetologists, the body piercers. Each of those professions, each of those occupations had a lingo, had a language, had a world that they lived in. And as much as possible, um, if you're an investigator that is, that is a generalist, try to find out as much of that world as you can so that you can get that conversation with their purpose. And you can exercise that professional judgment as, as clear as um, possible. And by the way, Mike has seen a cow before. It was just further along in the process. We've all seen hamburgers. so. You know, I'm gonna just leave that alone. <laughs> well, let me let me let me ask this question then, uh, amigo. So, um, are there? I mean, I know I've used it in the past, but maybe you can give some some validation to it. Are there times when it's been helpful to? Um, I don't want to say play dumb in, in an investigation, but um, when you have a respondent that is very confident in themselves um, to approach them with a, you know, well, you know, I'm not a dentist, um, you know, help me understand right. and, and taking that tack. Um, so it, it, for lack of a better term of saying playing yeah. dumb, is that, is that a, a viable well, option? Cause I've used it and it's worked, but yeah. am I damaging me, things in the, in the end? Let me just say this line. You're asking exactly the right guy about playing dumb. He's an, he, he is very convincing. Yeah, some would say that I don't play dumb. And if I do, if I am playing dumb, I should get an Oscar or a Tony or an Emmy because I do it so well. <laughs> but, but line, you make a good point. It's like, you know, it, it's really sort of a tool in your investigative box because 
for some professions, like the more technical ones, it's all right to play like you don't know because um, you know that makes them give you information. You know, you know, educate me, help me to understand. That's you know, as Mike uses, that's one of the most important questions that you can ask. You know, help me to understand because you know I'm here to get your side of what happened. And to the extent that you know they can give you education about you know um, um, information. Now, you know, it's a tool that you may not want to use in some instances, like you know. One of the professions that uh, we regulated was on-site sewage disposal. Um, you know, I, I don't, I, mean, I didn't, I certainly don't want to act like I know everything about that. But at, but at the same time, you know, uh, you know, as some people say, what is it to know? <laughs> you know <laughs> so, so yeah, it is a good tactic, um, and and that's the other thing I think that that's a good point that we that we talk about in in the inside NCIT is you know look at the. You know, look at these skills and these and these uh, these things as tools in a toolbox. You don't always have to use a hammer or a mallet or a gavel. <laughs> you don't always have to use a screwdriver. You know, sometimes flathead, sometimes you know, sometimes Phillips. Sometimes, sometimes you need a saw. But just know what your tools are and know when to use them, and that's a part of being prepared. Um, so yeah, good point. Line, I think you're done for the day. Don't you have to make one good point a day and then you can clock out? <laughs> yeah, I, I had it's a it's a Costanza moment is what I call it. Yes, um, but so let me let me throw this to to Mike then too. So with that, um, I guess speaking to that vein, um, you know, are there opportunities that you have? Um, utilize when you've been able to, and again, I don't want to say play dumb, but um, knowing your audience. And obviously this is something that comes with, with years of experience, right? Like, so somebody green out of the bat is not going to be able to, to gauge the room uh, so much early on, but um, is there a good example that you can recall on, on that? Well, it's a, it's a lot like what Amigo just said, that the, the key to not playing dumb but seeking uh, help me understand this is don't exceed yourself. Don't, don't try to be somebody or something you're not. Uh, be legitimate when you're saying, you know, I, I don't understand this process. Can you, can you walk me through it? Uh, because in my experience, people are pretty fast to identify when you're putting it on. And uh, that, that's not effective. Again, the credibility goes out the window. You're trying to develop that rapport. Uh, and the other thing that to remember when if you are in over your head is your focus, maintaining focus, because a lot of times, you know, I, I've listened to Amigo teach and sometimes I just real snoozes. <laughs> I, I stay a little snooze. I go to my happy place and I just, you know, and I can recall a time that I did that in an interview with an individual. Uh, and I teach interviewing, and I always talk about maintaining focus and staying engaged and stuff. But in this particular case, uh, this guy was killing me. Uh, this was not the Lindbergh baby case. This was a very minor thing. And normally what we try to get people to do in an interview is talk to us and educate us. And uh, my problem with this guy was I could not get him to shut up. I literally sticking my pen in my ear, just trying to make it stop. Uh, and so just a, a little note to everybody that's listening today, um, be aware of what you're doing when you start to go to your happy place and you have something to write on and something to write with and do not do what I did. Um, you're all probably familiar with the name, with the game hangman. Uh, I played hangman in the margin of my notes 
and the letters that go underneath the platform there that form the word, there were four blanks there. I filled those in with J-E-R-K. And I thought nothing of it because at that time I was a young investigator, young in the process, didn't realize, about, didn't know much about this thing called discovery where you turn your stuff over to the other side. And the next time I saw that <laughs> little game was on a screen in the courtroom. I was being asked the question, what was my client telling you when you took those notes, officer? Very uncomfortable time with your prosecutor sitting there going, and yeah. you just take your meeting. So staying engaged, uh, even with the highly technical things that, that regulatory investigators deal with every day, uh, don't let yourself slip out. You got to stay with the game. I, I, I think if I can make just another quick point, I, I know we're getting towards the um, close, but but um, and this goes into what you're saying, you know, uh, line about you know playing dumb, you know, Mike, what you're saying about being dumb. Um, um, <laughs> but um, but you have to be careful. Don't let playing dumb dumb be your strategy for not preparing. Um, I was in the architecture case. And architects are very, you know, very technical profession. You know, it's a, like a three-day test. You know, so you're not going to be able to be at the architect's level. An engineer was um, was um, testifying, and he kept saying over and over. And I said to him, "Where are my shop drawings?" I said, "Where are my shop?" And then I said, "Well, what is a shop drawing?" Now, evidently, that it's like the whole room. Not you know, people. You know, the architect that was there, the testifying witness, like this guy is really dumb. You know. That was, you know, I should have been more prepared to know what the importance of a shop drawing would have been to an engineer who was working on, you know, with architects plans. So, so don't let, um, I could see it now, I could see that say, you know what I found online, Dempsey said that um, you can play dumb, so that's going to be my strategy, and I'm not going to prepare, you know, always prepare, <laughs> but within that preparation, say, I'm going to play dumb, or I'm going to play like I need more information, you know, help me to understand. So I guess it's our version of help me. Yeah, right. <clears throat> you know, that's a Thor Loki reference, you know, help me. Okay, on the way home, we'll get it. <laughs> well, you know, uh, obviously, one of the things that that investigators can do is obviously try to, to stay, stay fresh on their skills. Um, and, you know, opportunities for NCIT programs are always available. Um, and, you know, as we move back towards in-person meetings, our, our investigator roundtable is a great opportunity for you to, to share that. And also we have communities on clear, which is a great place for you to, to, to share questions or, or, or situations where you've run across that, that someone might, might actually gain some insight from and, and help them in their, in their job. Um, you know, we are continuing, clear is continuing to add uh, new dates for our online basic and specialized programs. Um, so even if you are an experienced investigator, um, you're certain to gain some new skills and knowledge from this course. Um, it's certainly changed over the years. I've, I've been a part of that. Actually, both of you have been a part of that, too, as we change our curriculum over the years to, to make sure that we're staying current. Um, and that's one of the great things about CLEAR and, and the NCIT committee is that we're devoted to making sure that we are staying on top of what is the current and latest and greatest in, um, in technology and, and techniques. Um, so we invite you to learn more about that by visiting the website at www.clearhq.org backslash NCIT. Uh, so I think it's been an excellent uh, conversation today. 
Um, again, uh, I, I look up to both of you. I've been uh, involved with you guys for a long time, and I've always gained to try to be to the level of, of experience that you guys have. Um, I don't know if that comes with losing hair, since both of you seem to be somewhat challenged, and, and I still have good locks right now, so I guess I've still got a few years to go on that. <laughs> well, I had a blast. Well, thank man. you, guys. Thank you for having me. That was great. Thanks very much. Absolutely. And, and I also want to thank our, our listeners for tuning into this episode. Um, we invite you to continue this conversation uh, through our clear discussion forum. That's what I mentioned before, the clear communities. Um, and uh, members can reply to and post comments there. Um, some of the things that we may even want to look into is, you know, or uh, questions to pose to the group are, you know, what are the most important skill or tool that you use in your regulatory investigations? And maybe some of what are the biggest challenges you face as a regulatory investigator? We'd love to continue this conversation on the clear community. So please take a look on there. Um, we'll be back with another episode of Regulation Matters, a clear conversation very soon. If you're new to this clear podcast, please subscribe to us. You can find us on Podbean and, and any of your favorite podcast services. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating or a comment in the app. Uh, those reviews help us to improve our ranking and make it easier for new listeners to find us. Feel free also to visit the CLEAR website, that's www.clearhq.org, for additional resources as well as a calendar of upcoming online programs and events. And finally, I'd like to thank our CLEAR staff, specifically Stephanie Thompson. She has worked with us, uh, the three of us, a lot for many, many years, so we do appreciate you and, and, and doing all the editing that you had to do probably in this podcast. Yeah. Um, so once again, I'm Lyne Dempsey, and I hope to be speaking to you guys again very soon.